0: Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, looking again at verses 13, or excuse me, 14 through 17, same verses we looked at last week, and I want to go back and take a little different angle on those this week from what we did last week, but probably overlap just a little bit. Some of you in here, I know, uh, were out late last night for a class reunion, talked with you this morning, and you've... uh, done that my class reunion was last night also in uh, Oxford Alabama uh, you almost went to your 30th I think or something along those lines mine was my 50th and about halfway through the week I was really feeling bad that I didn't go I really was I I thought ah, I I could see friends I haven't seen in years some of them probably in 50 years many of them in 30 years and so I was really feeling bad. Yesterday, I was kind of mopey because I wished I'd gone. I started seeing them posting things online that they're getting ready and decorating and all this kind of stuff. And I was feeling bad I didn't go. Then this morning, I woke up to pictures being posted of the group. And I was just a bunch of old folks there. <laughs> I, I really felt a lot better all of a sudden that I didn't go. I, you know, I would have... Uh, those weren't the same people I knew. 50 years ago in high school naturally but I know I would have been one of the old folks there too if it had been but anyway reunions are interesting things but reunions for the family of God are every single Sunday morning when we gather to worship when we gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ when we gather to to remember the goodness of God's great gifts. And not just physical gifts, not just monetary gifts, not just things that we have and stuff, if you will. And and most of the time, sadly, that's what we focus on, the stuff. But we gather together to thank God for what Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, that God has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places, that, that that blessing really is... Christ Jesus himself it really is our focus upon him and I as I sang these songs with you this morning that's part of the reunion singing the songs about our faith I I I recognize we sang that the great I am I'm going to mention that in the sermon this morning I thought well that's a great precursor to what I want to say about the great I am that we're going to worship this morning when we sang together the Lord is my salvation I I honestly stood there, and as I sang that, I don't know if you could see me or not, but I had hand gestures going. I thought, I could just get up and preach those lyrics. This is a great sermon. The Lord is my salvation. He's done all this and is doing all this to redeem a people for himself. He's done it in my life. He's done it in your life, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we gather every Sunday morning for a family reunion. We scatter To share the gospel and hopefully the next Sunday we gather again there will be more brothers and sisters who have now come to be a part of what God is doing in our lives and in our church. A new part of the family perhaps that come to celebrate in that family reunion together. And Paul is showing us the essence of what that means in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 17. Because he's talking about this whole idea, we said it last week, of adoption And last week, we kind of focused on adoption brings about assurance in the life of the believer. That's how we have assurance. We know that we are children of God, and and God does not cast out his children. God does not throw away his children. God cares for his children and loves his children and wants to protect his children, and he does do that. We're praying right now as a church family for Catherine and Spencer Claiborne up uh, up in Massachusetts as they have are in the process of adopting a precious little baby boy rex author Playborn. and tomorrow we'll start the big thing of all the signing of papers and and gathering together and the legal stuff coming together and and we're we're praying for them that that all that will go smoothly and all that will go great and and let me tell you something they have already become rex's parents and have taken him into their life and 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 I think it would be you would be stunned and shocked if you were to hear tomorrow, and you're not going to hear this, but you'd be stunned and shocked and rightly so if you heard, well, they just decided they didn't want him anymore. Not going to do that. Just as God never decides when he adopts us into his family that, well, Bill Haynes has been such a bothersome thing and such a such a trouble all these years. I just don't want him anymore. Does not happen. Does not happen so adoption brings about assurance but what does adoption mean specifically when apostle Paul and when Jesus himself talks about it what does that mean for you and me not just that it gives us assurance but what does it mean in this life right now J.I. Packer in his classic book knowing God in chapter I think it's 19 on entitled sons of God he he asked this question. He poses this question at the beginning. It was in my Grace Notes article this week. He asked the question, "What is a Christian? What is a Christian?" Now you can answer that in many myriad ways. You can say, "Well, a Christian is a person who has been saved." That's a terminology in the Bible Belt that we hear a lot. A, a Christian is a person that's been saved. You can say, a, per, a, "A Christian is a person who has been justified. They have been declared righteous by God, and they they've been justified." Uh, A Christian is one who has been given the righteousness of Christ. A a Christian is one who has been redeemed. I mean, you can go on and on and on with the words that you can use to talk about what is a Christian. But Packer makes the statement in answering that himself, he says it this way. The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. you can say what a christian is in a hundred different ways but the richest way perhaps the most meaningful way perhaps the way that hits at the core of it the most is that the christian is one who has god as father and i know you'll hear a lot of people say but but god is the father of all men nowhere is that taught in the scripture nowhere is that even implied in the scripture All men and all women have God as their creator. And all men and all women are created in His image. There's no doubt about that. That's clearly delineated in Scripture. But that God is Father to all men is a a doctrine of demons, to be quite honest with you. Uh, That God is Father to all men is absolutely rejected by the Scripture. That it's only believers, only those who are in Christ Jesus, only those who have submitted to His Lordship and been adopted, and had a work of grace done in their life by the Holy Spirit, only those can call God Father. You'll never hear a Muslim talking about Allah as Father. You'll hear a Muslim talking about Allah as as Supreme Being. You'll hear a Muslim talking about Allah as the, the Great One. You'll hear a Muslim talking about Allah in many, many different ways, but you'll never hear them call Him Father. They will never see themselves as children of the father adopted or otherwise you'll never hear any other religion talking about god as father unless they're caught up in this fatherhood of all mankind which is i've already said is totally unacceptable but the christian the believer the one who is in christ they are the ones who are able to have god as father sonship to god then or, or daughtership child, being a child of god Is is a gift of grace. It's not a natural. It's not a natural sonship or childhood. It's an adoptive one. It's one where God has has chosen us and placed us into His family by His own sovereign will. Just as as Rex will be a part of of Catherine and. And, and Spencer's family, by their will, by their choice, by their decision, they didn't have to do it. Rex had no claim to right of being a part of their family. and We had no claim to right of being a part of the family of God. It's a gift of grace, and the New Testament explicitly pictures it that way. So our understanding of Christianity, our understanding of what the Christian faith is all about, will never be fully understood. It will never be Better within our grasp than is our grasp of this concept of adoption. Now, Roman adoption was somewhat different from what we think of adoption today. There there are similarities, but there was a a few dimensions of it that were different. Many times in Paul's day, uh, a a man who did not have an heir, who did not have a child uh, that was an adult male would adopt an adult male into his family so they might have an heir, so they might have someone who could carry on the family name and carry on the family business or whatever, but, but they would adopt an adult. We don't see that happen today. We typically adopt babies or small children. We don't adopt adults. But there's another dimension of, of law in Paul's day, that was in the Roman law, that was so clear that Paul is wanting us to understand here, and that is once a person was adopted into your family, you could not under any circumstances disown that person. You made the volitional choice to bring them into your family. They weren't born there. And so no matter how bad they get, no matter how bad they treat you, no matter how ugly they get, you cannot disown them in in Paul's day. They were a part of the family for eternity. Your natural born child might sadden you and might embarrass you might even rebel against you and for your natural born child in Paul's day you could say I'm cutting you off or I'm cutting you out of the will in the modern vernacular that could happen with a natural born child that could not happen with adoptive child And so I think when Paul chooses the idea of talking about adoption, he wants to understand the finality of it. He wants us to understand the permanency of it. He wants us to understand that it is something that is not for a season. It is for all of eternity. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you're in me and I'm in the Father and we're protecting you, no one can snatch you out of my hands. And God will never cast you out. And I will never cast you out. You are mine for eternity. So we have God as Father to all those who believe. In the Old Testament, we sang about it this morning, God gave his people a covenant name by which they would speak of him and call upon him in prayer. The, the covenant name was Yahweh, or sometimes translated in modern translations, Jehovah. The, 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 the idea is and the word Yahweh literally means I am. He, he is the lord in your bible if you see it translated if you know yahweh is being translated if you see the lord and lord is in all capital letters, all small capital letters, that's Yahweh being translated that was the covenant name of God and he was saying I am he was announcing to the world that I am who I am, I am the great I am like we sang about this morning, the one who is completely and consistently himself the one who never changes it's not I was like this and someday I may be like this it is I am the great I am I am consistent in my nature I am the same yesterday, today and forever and the same is said of jesus by the writer of hebrews he is the same yesterday today and forever and so you have in that covenant name this consistency of the nature of god and but now that that's sort of in a progression understanding of the of the beauty of of god's dealing with his people He he showed himself as the great I am, which is still very true. But now in the New Testament explanation of God, and even in Jesus' statement, as I had Pastor Ricky read this morning in our hearing the word, when he he used the Lord's prayer, as we call it. It's really the disciples' prayer. Jesus doesn't have to pray that because he asked for forgiveness of sin. But, But he's giving that as a model prayer for you and me, the disciples, to pray consistently in this manner. And he starts out at the very beginning. He said, pray in this manner, our Father who is in heaven hallowed or holy worshiped awesome be your name that's what jesus is saying to us we we start our prayers by acknowledging as believers acknowledging as disciples of jesus that he is our father he's our father and god has not left us to kind of guess what that means I've heard people say throughout uh, the years of my pastoring and, and, and make statements like, well, I can't really grasp the fatherhood of God because I had a lousy father. Or with other people saying that they really can't understand Christianity very well because you know, their father was abusive or their father was absent. They never had a father around. And so, so they struggle with this idea of the fatherhood of God because they don't have someone uh, horizontally to relate to, to relate to God. Forgive me for putting it this way, but that's just plain silly. God hasn't left us to try to guess what his fatherhood is about by causing us or telling us to look for analogies of a human father. He doesn't say, now look to your father and you'll understand who God is. No, God says, this is who I am and this is how I am. If your earthly father doesn't live up to that and doesn't show that and doesn't present that, that's not your problem and that's not God's problem. That's his problem. But you can know God as father you can adore god as father you can experience god's love as father whether you had a good or a bad or an indifferent father on this earth they are not contingent on one another understand that because god has said this is what i am like as a father you don't need human fatherhood to be good or, or perfect or or even fair to understand this in John's Gospel, Jesus talks a lot about the fatherhood of God in relationship to himself. And in doing that, he, he, he talks about sonship. And, and, and then John writes that. And then in John, in his first epistle, talks a lot about our relationship. Based on what he talked about with Jesus in his gospel, he talks about our relationship to God. as as sons, as children of God in this life. He he says several things. He says, first of all, that in 1 John 3, 1, let's just turn over to 1 John for a minute because it's important, I think you see this. I know the sermon's on Romans 8, but there's some parallel stuff here you need to see. In 1 John 3, 1, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. John is saying there, understand this, believers. The supreme gift of God's love is His adopting you into His family. You want to know what the love of God is like? Understand this. He loved you so much that He adopted you. He made you a part of His family. We are called the children of God, John says that demonstrates the kind of love the father has given to us it's love to the father if you look back in 215 he says do not love the world or the things of the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him so there's there's a different love there now i realized one of our songs this morning i caught that so the thing about this verse it says help me to love the world and what was the other phrase and hate the darkness yeah love the world and hate the darkness when when, when that song is talking about loving the world it's not talking about this kind of loving the world and being in uh, and being of the world and adapting the world's ways it's talking about loving the world who is outside of christ with a love for the gospel to share the gospel with them we talk about that song you know across the ages and and uh, uh, for the cause that we we take the gospel out that's how we love the world by taking the gospel to them that's why a team is going to Montreal the end of this week to to share the gospel there in a in a dark city in a city that needs to know Christ just like Somerset does and we're called to do that we share his love but but the love of the father has been demonstrated and has filled us in such a way that we love him or or, or chapter 5 verses 1 through uh, through 3 in that same book everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him by this we know that we love the children we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome john says listen understand this just as what paul is saying that the way we demonstrate that we have the love of the father and that we love god is that we love one another within the body of christ that we care about one another that we minister to one another and we build one another up in a consistent and a real way john also tells us all through this little epistle that to love one's christian brothers and sisters is absolute evidence of the love of God and I can read you other verses but I won't right now and and so we see that the real ethic that we live by is fellowship with God as father and having privileges as children of God privilege of being in him Paul will talk about that as being an heir with him we see Jesus and we see his glory and we become more like him that that's what John is talking about in 3.3 when he says, in, in that verse, he says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That is, when our hope and trust is in Christ, when our adoption has been secure and is secure, and we know we belong to him, there's a purity that takes place, and we become more like Christ. It's a glorious thing. Then you look back in John's gospel as he recorded the the ministry of Christ. And and don't turn back with me there. You can turn back to Romans chapter 8. and We'll get there in just a minute. All this is introduction, by the way. Don't panic too bad yet. But according to to Jesus' testimony in John's gospel, he talks about the elements of fatherhood. He talks about fatherhood carries with it the, the, the idea of authority that God is father over us is Lord. He is the great I am. He is the Lord. And and it's his word and his truth that we are to live by. Jesus himself said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. There's that authority there that goes with that. I didn't come to, to decide how I ought to live my life, Jesus said. I came to fulfill the will of my father. Or or he said, I've completed the work you gave me to do in talking to the Father in John 17, 4. He said, you gave me a specific task and I'm here and it's being completed even right now as he was facing Calvary's cross. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And the Son can do nothing by Himself, but only that which the Father has given Him to do. I mean, Jesus throughout His ministry, even though we recognize He is the second person of the Godhead, and we sang about the great Trinitarian truth of the Gospel this morning, but in that, Jesus is always in His earthly ministry saying, I'm submitting myself to the Father. I have come to do the Father's will. I have come to do what he called me to do and assigned me to do. And that's all that matters because he is the authority, he is the ruler, he is the great I am. Secondly, the fatherhood implied affection. Jesus says the father loves the son in John 5.20. And then John 15, 9 through 10, he says, the fathers loved me, and I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And he says in that same thing, talking about the vine and the branches, as as I have been loved, you will be loved by the father. I mean, there's this this picture of affection. Think about that a minute. Just let that sink in a minute. God does not have some kind of generalized love where we say, oh yeah, we know God is love. Yeah, we know God loves. We know the scripture says God is love. And there's this sort of general thing. If you are in Christ, the affection of God has been placed upon your life. He loves you. He adopted you. You belong to him and he loves you and the love of God is a binding thing that will never ever come to a cessation it will never end no matter what the fatherhood of God also implies fellowship in John 16 Jesus said I'm not alone for my father is with me you know the old the old heresy of people that have taught, you know, God created the world and God created people in the world because God needed somebody to love. is ridiculous. That God needed us for fellowship with him. He needed to have us so that he could have something to love. No, no, the scripture makes it clear that there is perfect love and perfect fellowship and perfect unity in the Trinitarian God. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son and the Father, and, and there's this perfect fellowship. And Jesus said, even on the earth where I am suffering and going through all sorts of agony for the sins of my people, the Father loves the Son. And he goes on in verse 15, Says the, uh, uh, excuse me, in, in verse 8 he says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. It's the idea of fellowship. It's a picture of fellowship between the Son on the earth and His Father, His natural Father, if you will. It also implies that the Son will one day be honored. Jesus said to, in verse 17, 1, that god wills to exalt his son father glorify your son in in chapter 5 he says the father has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father so this idea of authority and affection and fellowship and honor is what jesus understands from his father but hear me as i say this and we're going to look at paul what he's saying here all of this extends to God's adoptive children. You are under his authority as his child. You are under his affection as his child. You, are, you have fellowship with the Father. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true and the living God. That's where this, this idea comes from. Of Eternal life is knowing God. And you will one day be honored. Peter said, we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and at the right time, He will exalt us. He will honor us. We don't honor ourselves or exalt ourselves. We exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the right time, at the right day, when we see him in glory, we will be honored by the Father for carrying out his will and his purpose and being a part of his family. It's so a glorious truth. And it applies to every single Christian. So in and through and under Jesus Christ as Lord, we are loved ruled, accompanied daily with fellowship, and honored by our Heavenly Father. Paul says, back to Romans 8, Paul says in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We saw that that relates to mortification, putting to death sin. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We said this last week, but it can't say it enough. That term, Abba, Father, is a term of endearment. It's a term of love. It's a term of affection. It's really saying, I love you, Father. I care about you, Father. I I, I treasure your love and protection and care in my life. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What is an heir? An heir is one who inherits. An heir is one who owns what the Father owns. An heir is one who will one day receive whatever is there. In some cases, it may be a lot. In some cases, it may not be much. But it's everything there is. And when Paul chooses to use that terminology, to say, listen, if we are his children, we are heirs, and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus has everything that belongs to the Father, don't we? Don't we? Yeah, thank you. Not some heads. We we know that Jesus has everything that belongs to the Father. It is totally His, completely His. Rightfully so. But Paul says we who are adopted into His family are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, I know that most of the time most of the time we tend in our day to look at that totally eschatological i had to throw one big word on you this morning eschatological end of time type stuff we we know that we always think about well yes i'll be a i'm an heir with a joint heir with christ i'm an heir of god he's my father and one day when i leave this body and enter into his presence, I will go there and I will inherit glory. And that's absolutely true. But Paul to the Galatians talked about when we are in grace, when we are in Christ, the law which was our schoolmaster, our our tutor, the law was our tutor to point us to Christ, but when we're in Christ, we have become children in the household and heirs right now of what the Father has. You see, it's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in this whole equation, and, and that's why Paul in chapter eight makes it the, the chapter about the Holy Spirit, if you will, the Holy Spirit is that, that sealing. The Holy Spirit is that down payment. The Holy Spirit is that foretaste of what is yet to come because the Holy Spirit works in our life and gives us the privileges and the pleasures many times of, 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 the, of the things we will inherit in glory. We acknowledge and know the presence of Christ right now. Fellowship. The Holy Spirit says you belong to Christ. It bears witness with your little s spirit in your own life, in your own being, in your own soul. You have the the, the life of God in the soul of man, as Stogel talked about. We have the life of God in us. There is that, that foretaste of glory. It's not perfect yet, as it one day will be. But it's still glory. It's still glorious we seek to make life meaningful for our children and we seek to give them in our day and time probably far too much just an aside there we seek to give to them one day when we're gone everything we have will be theirs and they'll enjoy it in its fullness But I think, I hope, they're enjoying it somewhat even now. It's the same way in the Christian life. Again, the analogy breaks down and is weak, but it helps us get a little glimpse of it. God has said, I have placed my spirit in you. And my spirit bears witness with your spirit that you belong to me. And I do that by the putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I do that by showing you that you are my child. And you may cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, intimately and passionately and desirously. For our call to worship this morning, I used the psalm as the deer pants for the streams, water. As the deer thirst in dry land. So my soul desires you, O Lord. So the question really is, is that your desire? That will be, understand this, that will be the desire of a child of God that's not your desire then as Paul encourages us over and over time to time time after time in his letters examine yourself but know that this idea of adoption brings us into a point of wanting him it's a family idea conceived in terms of love viewing God as father and wanting to be in the presence of the father to glean from the father and grow in the father That's what the Spirit does in the life. As a matter of fact, adoption shows us the totality of the Christian life when we submit to Him. When we submit to Him. Let's pray. Greatest Christian privilege adoption. Justification is good, it forgives our sins, it gives us His righteousness to our account. Glorification will be glorious, sanctification is progressive and strengthening in our life, and that's good. But that's even contingent upon adoption. Father, I thank you for adopting us into your family. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to call you Father. And I know I I address you sometimes as merciful God and almighty God and creator God and, and all that you are. But the dearest, the dearest address that we can make to you is Father, Father, And Lord, we know that you are a fierce protector of your family. No one can snatch your children out of your hand, out of your family. And Lord, even as we read in the news this week of celebrity preachers saying they no longer are Christian, that. Could probably be said without the no longer statement, because Lord, we know that John says in John, First John, that they go out from us because they never were one of us. They never knew the joy of adoption. They never knew the joy of that fellowship. They had a head knowledge. <laughs> Father, we struggle with that. We we. Scratch our heads, how could one do that? And we don't have answers except the fact that we know and we believe that if they are indeed Christians, adopted your family, and they're just wayward sons right now, they will come back in repentance. And we pray for that. And I pray for that, Lord, of less known people, even in our own extended families, or maybe even our own church family, Lord, that have strayed away, but that really are adopted, but they've let sin captivate their sight. Lord, I pray you bring them back. I pray you bring Josh Harris back. I pray you bring others back, Lord, that have turned away from you. Father, I pray you assure us of our adoption by working your holiness out in our lives. We thank you, Lord, in the midst of all of that. You will hold us fast. Father, do your work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite old hymns has been brought back to life he will hold us fast. Several hundred years old. But boy, the truth of that hymn has been revitalized and we rejoice in it. Stand with us as we sing together.